Welcome to Asbury United Methodist Church. My name is Pastor Will. Thanks for joining our podcast. This is where you'll be able to find all of our sermons, as well as special devotionals and interviews. We hope these messages inspire hope and bring support as you grow on your journey of faith. If you have any questions, or if you want further conversation, or if you simply like what you hear, connect with Asbury through our Facebook page or by checking our website at asburymaitland.org. Good morning. How are we doing today? Good. Well, my name is Will Kendis. I get the pleasure of being one of the pastors here at Asbury. Uh, I'm so thankful to be back with you all, and I say be back with you all because last couple weeks uh, I've spent some time away, took some time to spend some time with my family in Jacksonville Beach, got some sun, got to spend some time in the waves and the sand, Uh, found that my son Liam really likes to eat sand, um, which is something that, uh, you know, maybe it helps digestion. I don't know. Uh, I did not try it myself. Uh, But last weekend, I actually was in Nashville, Tennessee, for a wedding with uh, some family members. So I got to travel up to Nashville. Um, And Nashville, when we started planning this trip, it was uh, one of those distances that it was right at the cusp of, okay, we could drive this, especially when we were thinking, okay, maybe we'll take Liam with us especially having to rent a car with a car seat and all that. Uh, But we just decided to leave Liam uh, with a family member here in town, and uh, flying was uh, the option that we ended up going with. But I found it so uh, interesting when I was flying, the different people and kind of the different personalities of people that you find in an airport. You find people who dress really nice, they show up early, uh, you know, they've got everything intact, you know, they know how to get through security super quick, you know, take my bag out, take my laptop out, I'm through security. Then you kind of get the other people who maybe show up uh, right when the plane's about to leave, just rush through security, walk straight onto the plane. You find people as far as different social levels, some like to go, get to their seat, uh, headphones in, sunglasses on, maybe even a hoodie or something just to stay kind of in their own little space. And then you get the other people who are like eyes up, looking around like, who can I talk to? Who can I have a conversation with? Um, And I don't know about you all, but I'm a little bit more of the headphones, you know, and and a book, just kind of be to my own space. Who is like that as well? Who kind of wants to be to themselves? Yeah, yeah. Who are the other people who it's an adventure for you? Like, yeah, okay. I see, yeah. It's interesting even seeing the hands, like people like who like the talking to other people, very, you know, animated with the hands. But um, like I said, I'm the one who kind of likes to keep to myself. Uh, But we actually have a little bit of a video clip of a gentleman. Um, He's probably more of the adventurous type. Uh, When getting asked the question, he wasn't totally sure how to answer this. Uh, So this was his take when asked what he does for a living uh, when he encountered somebody at an airport. Let's watch this. I sat next to this lady on an aeroplane at Heathrow Airport. And I said, hello. And she said, well, hello. And I said, where are you going? And she says, I'm going to Singapore. Then she said to me, where are you going? I said, I'm going to Australia. I said, what do you do? So she told me. Then she said, what do you do? And I said, well, (laughs) I work for a global enterprise. She said, do you? I said, yes, I do. I said, we've got outlets in nearly every country of the world. She said, have you? 
said, yes, we have. I said, we've got hospitals and hospices and homeless shelters. I said, we do marriage work. We've got orphanages. We've got feeding programs, educational programs. I said, we do all sorts of justice and reconciliation things. I said, basically, we look after people from birth to death and we deal in the area of behavioural alteration. <laughs> she went, wow! And it was so loud, her wow, loads of people turned around and looked at us. She says, what's it called? I said, it's called the church. <laughs> If we are a follower of Jesus, wow. then we are part of a global enterprise. But not only is it global, it's intergalactic because it includes everyone that's gone before us. Wow. <laughs> so what he was describing was the church. Uh, and as we are in our fourth week of our sermon series looking at the Apostles' Creed, he gave us a pretty good overview when we say those words, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church and the communion of saints. But we're going to pull that apart today, but let's first pray. God, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for these words in which we say, we state our belief uh, when we do say these words. But God, we pray that today uh, we would know that much more about these words, the church. Uh, and the communion of saints, and what it means to us as your followers, as we are gathered together collectively at a church. Uh, I pray that you would speak through me, God, and if necessary, in spite of me. Uh, be with me. Send me your Holy Spirit to provide the words to communicate your truth, your love. Pray all these things in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. So as we talk through this language of the church, um, I thought it was important to see where this wording of the church truly came from. How did it become into existence? Um, and like I said, what it means for us exactly. So first, the word church. Um, the word that probably best is used that we can find in the New Testament is this word ecclesia when we talk about the word church. And it doesn't mean a specific building, it doesn't mean a specific location, but rather a called out community. This is a group of believers who have come together. Now this word didn't originally have a religious connotation, but eventually took on a Christian connotation. Originally it kind of just meant a group of people who came together with the same collective uh, motives, the same ideas. Uh, soldiers, for example, were an ecclesia. They would come together with kind of the same end goal. Also, we can think about even the Israelites in, uh, in Exodus were considered to be an ecclesia because they were a group of like-minded people who have come together. It was any gathering of people who were called out of their homes to gather together. And it eventually it did come to mean a Christian community, a Christian gathering of people. And the first time we see that is in Matthew 16, verse 18. It says this. This is Jesus speaking to Peter, saying, Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. 
Jesus being as clever as he always is, kind of referencing the name that Peter has, that which means rock, it kind of wouldn't have the same ring if Peter's name meant like uh, soft and fluffy, would it? You know, it's like, Peter, soft and fluffy, we're going to build the church upon you. Uh, But it meant rock. And when Jesus is saying that, he's saying, you're the cornerstone, you're the strong foundation to which we are going to base uh, all the believers who come after you upon And so when we see this word ecclesia, when we see this word church, I think it's helpful for us to think that it's the people and not the steeple. The church is the people, not the steeple. Did you all used to ever do the thing where you'd put your hands together as a kid? You could do it along with you if you want. You put your hands together, you kind of flip them over, you go, here's the church, here's the steeple, open the doors, and here's all the people, right? Yeah. Well, when I was doing ministry over at Suntree with youth, we were kind of challenging. We were challenging that idea that it is the people and not the steeple. And we kind of made up a new one. I actually don't know if we made it up, but we kind of claimed we did. Uh, We were edgy. So anyway, we we would put our fingers kind of together. We wouldn't overlap, but we'd say, here's the church. uh, Here's the steeple. Open the doors. Where's all the people? And then we'd say, well, the the people are the, the walls. The people are the church. Even so much, this is how edgy we were, remember those live strong wristbands that were kind of like rubbery and flexible? Um, I had so many over the years. Does anybody in here still have one like on them? I asked in the other service, nobody had them, but yeah, they were like all the rage. I had my live strong one uh, in support of Lance Armstrong and cancer, but we made one that said, I don't go to church. Yeah, yeah, we were cool. Um, Because the inside said, Um, I am the church. Well, this fell into the hands, one of these fell into the hands of a local pastor who had thousands of congregants, if you will. And on a Sunday morning, he held it up and he said, people are not going to church anymore. Even so much, they're proud about it. I found this wristband that says, I don't go to church. Can you believe that? Uh, And yeah, he he didn't read the inside uh, that said, I am the church. We actually called the church like when we found out about this. We said, hey, the inside, it said, you know, we are the church. We're we're not saying that we're anti-church. But unfortunately, uh, that was not mentioned from the pulpit. Uh, It did make it on page four news, unfortunately. So uh, not as important as the initial point he made. But for us today, when we think of this word church, we need to focus that it's on the people and not the steeple. But when we talk about the church, we qualify it with a couple words that come before, one of which is holy. And the word holy means set apart or sacred to. And that is set apart and sacred to God. The church is the gathering of people, us, the followers of Jesus Christ, who are sacred to God. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are not like that, for you are chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. You see here, there's possession language. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We, as the church, are part of this holy group of people coming together. But what I think is helpful for us to think about is even though the church is holy, it is made up of imperfect people. We might be on this journey towards holiness, or we might ourselves be working towards it, but the reality is 
we will get it wrong sometimes. I know I will get it wrong sometimes. The church sometimes will get it wrong, and it has before. The wedding that I mentioned uh, that I went to, as customary, we had family members uh, and other parts of the bridal party share some advice with the newlyweds, giving some advice for them as they just start their new life together. Uh, And we had some themes that showed up. Patience was a big one. Forgiveness was another one. And grace being the last one. And these were themes that just kind of came up over and over. But one thing that I thought was really, really helpful was the father of the bride, who was in the school system, was a teacher for many years, used this phrase. He said, drop the lowest grade. You know, when you're in a marriage, when you're in a relationship with somebody, drop the lowest grade because we're not always going to show up to be our best. We're not always going to show up and give 100%. Some of these grades will be a representation uh, or aren't going to be a full representation of our intentions and who we are. And as we, as a part of the church, I think we need to remember that sometimes too. Although it is set apart for God, we are made up of imperfect people and we will get things wrong. And it's important for us to remember that, to drop the lowest grade, show grace and forgiveness as we are shown grace and forgiveness. But on the other side of that, we need to also remember, just like a relationship, when it's time to move on or to get out. A lot of the times the church has gotten things wrong before. The church was a big proponent of slavery in the United States all these years ago. They used scripture to uh, suppress people and hold people against their will. Even in the last 50 years, the church has changed its stance um, on women being part of clergy, those who are ordained, pioneers like Pastor Barbara, who not only could but should be in these positions, leading us, guiding us. So as much as we want to forgive the church, we need to know when it may be time to walk away. I pray that never happens in this congregation of Asbury. I pray it never happens in the United Methodist Church. I pray it doesn't happen in any church. But if there is a situation where you are finding yourself uh, on the other side of abuse, physical, mental, spiritual abuse, just like in a relationship, there are moments like this where we we are needing to walk away where one person is using the church for their control, you need not to be on that side of it. But that word of control comes up when we talk about how we actually got the word church. So the word church actually came from a German word that means house of Lord, Kirika, which meant house of Lord, eventually translated to Kirsch, which then translated to church. When Christianity was no longer uh, being persecuted, Christians weren't being persecuted, and it became less of a movement, it transitioned into a location. Chapels, churches, synagogues, everything else like that started to be built up. And what happened was control could start being used to make the rules. No longer could you control the movement, but you could lock the doors, you could control the hours, And most importantly for them, you can control the narratives, even the scriptures, so much so that the Bibles were even chained to the pulpits. And even if you got a hold of a Bible, chances were it wasn't even in a language that people in the area could understand. Usually it was in Latin or some other area that only the smart or the elite or the powerful could read. Thankfully, we had people like William Tyndale in the 1500s 
who heard about this evil. He was from England, and he got a hold of a Bible, and he translated it from Greek into English, and he started smuggling them into England. Think about that. He had to smuggle Bibles into England, even though a predominantly Christian place still having to smuggle these in. Eventually, he was caught. He was tried as a heretic, and he was executed, all because he was trying to get the Bible into the hands of the common people. They were losing control, and this was their best way to grab it back. This institutionalization of the church got so out of hand that we had people go all the way to death to fight back. Interestingly enough, as William Tyndale translated the Bible, do you know what word he did not use in the New Testament? What word could not be found? Church. He never used the word church in the New Testament. He translated it to mean congregation or gathering, just like ecclesia. That was the word he used because he knew that when the word church was used, it was meant as a control. But when we say the word church, we say it is holy. We say it is set apart to God. But what about that Catholic word? Are we talking about the Roman Catholic Church? We are not. We're talking about the universal church. And that comes from two words that are put together, kata and halos, throughout and all. All throughout, universal. That's what we're saying when we say the holy Catholic church. Acts 9.31 says, The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in fear of the Lord, and with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. So when we say these words, we believe in the Holy Catholic Church, we believe it is set apart, filled with imperfect people, we believe that it is a gathering of people, but we also acknowledge that not all these people look like us, sound like us, talk like us, are near us, but we do acknowledge that they are also followers of Christ. Other people who are faithfully and to their own convictions following after the message of Jesus Christ, we also are part of that church. And this even includes other denominations. I like to think that Methodists, uh, I'm a little partial here, I like to think we have it best, uh, but like I said, we get things wrong too, but this includes other denominations and non-denominational denominations alike. Okay, so we have church, we have holy, we have Catholic, but what exactly does the church do? We know what it is specifically. The church is the continuing work of Jesus Christ led by the Holy Spirit. As Pastor Chris talked in weeks previously, as, the holy Spirit, or as Jesus ascended, the Holy Spirit descended and empowered us to come together to form the church. So we continue this work of Jesus Christ, which is summarized, I think, well in Matthew 9, saying this. Jesus traveled through all the towns and the villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He said to the disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. In these words, we see that Jesus traveled, he healed, he had compassion, he had mercy, he provided guidance through teaching, and lastly, he acknowledges in these words that it's going to be difficult, 
There's a lot of work to do, and so we need help. Let's get other people on board. And some of those people who can come on board with us is the next part of our phrasing, the communion of saints. But when we say this word saints, does that include us as well? Does it include those who have gone all the way to the grave following after Jesus Christ? Do we have to do that? Do we have to go to the grave like William Tyndale? No. This includes all of us who are chasing after what God has called us to do. The word saint comes from this word hagios, which is very similar to holy. So when we say that someone is a saint, we are saying that they are holy. We are saying that they are set apart. Someone said it best by saying being a saint is tapping into all that God has for us. We, as we are becoming more and more like God, we are becoming more sanctified. We are becoming more holy. And it's kind of one of those things where we can look at it and say it's a now and a not yet. It's something that we step into, but it's something that we become along the way. I think of it a little bit like fatherhood. Um, when Liam was born, uh, almost two years, we're counting down the days, uh, but when he was two years, uh, two years ago when he was born, I became a father, but I don't really become a dad until I kink the hose and I tell him that the water's off and to check inside and then I just let it go and just let it happen, you know? That's when you like really become a dad. Any of the dads out here done that to their kids? Yeah, that's when you really become a dad. But that's a little bit of what being a saint is. It's this process of becoming more and more like God. As Liam grows up, I will become more and more a father. I will learn new lessons. I will teach him. I will guide him to the best of our, my ability. And as he grows older, my focus will shift away from me and to him. It will shift from looking out for my best interests to his best interests. And that's what happens with saints as well. As people grow in their faith and become more holy, the focus tends to shift away from themselves to other people. And this is all done by the power of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul writes this. He says, And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. More and more into his glorious image. Like a car trying to get from A to B, it doesn't work without putting gasoline in it. And thank goodness that the Holy Spirit doesn't cost five bucks a gallon. Amen? Amen. Amen. But when we say this word saints, I talked to this a little bit before, you know, we might not be the ones who are canonized by the church. Uh, you know, we might not have images made after us. We might not be celebrated like those who have gone before us. But we can be ordinary saints in our everyday lives. We can do some of the work that I know is already happening here at Asbury, some of which I don't even know of what goes on people who visit those who are in prison, those who lead Bible studies, those who care for our family members, visit the elderly, even turning off the lights when we leave the room, being a good steward of the creation that God has given us. All of these things are making us more and more like God each and every day. And as I mentioned, as this process continues, we think less of ourselves and we think more of other people. And this last word, communion, we celebrate communion on the first Sundays as we recognize the body and the blood of Jesus Christ that is broken and shed for us. But this communion is the coming together of saints. Just as the video mentioned, it's intergalactic. It's those who have gone before us. Adam Hamilton in his book, Creed, he talks about what his perception of heaven will be like. 
you know, we'll be doing things like worshiping God. We'll be in God's presence. We'll be productive, not always 100% watching over our loved ones. But he said, there's probably going to be moments that we experience in this life where God's going to call our loved ones over and say, hey, I want you to check this out. I think of the moment when I got married where God called my dad over and said, hey, Rick, I want you to come see something. Your son's getting married today. You should watch this. Or maybe when I became a dad myself, saying, Rick, your son is becoming a father. This is a big day. I want you to watch over it. And as my dad watches over it, as your loved ones watch over you, they are there, they are cheering us on. It's the communion of saints, urging us on to run the race. Hebrews 12, one through two, puts it this way. The message translation, I think is fantastic. It says, do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on, it means we better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished this race we're in. I don't know where you are in life. I don't know if you feel like your life is a rat race. I don't know if your life feels like a slow walk, but we are all in this race. We've got so much piled on our plates. There might be so many expectations, but I think Jesus puts it so well saying, the harvest is plenty and the workers are few. There is an acknowledgement that it is hard work and it is so much better when we go together. We need that support. We need one another. And it's not perfect, but it's our best shot. It's important to God and therefore should be important to us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. God, we thank you so much that you have given us the church. We know so often that we who are a part of this church might get things wrong, but we know you will give us forgiveness. You will give us grace. You will guide us if we truly and faithfully seek after what it is that you have in store for us. With all that the Holy Spirit guides us through, we know we will get it right eventually. God, I pray that we as this church, this community of believers, that we would do just that faithfully seek after what you have for our lives. Continue to urge us on as we are continued to be urged on by the saints who have gone before us, our loved ones, the pioneers, the, the ones who have done this already. May we be inspired, may we be fired up by all that they have achieved and all that you have in store for us. We pray all these things in your precious and holy and mighty name. Amen.